Okay, well, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good brunch, good dinner. Whenever you're watching this, uh, glad that you guys are with us. If I haven't got to meet you before, uh, my name's Aiden, one of the pastors here at Grace in Norton, and we're so glad that you're tuning in uh, in this way and kind of keeping connected with us. Um, you know, it was, it was about April of 2020, and I think we can all remember where we were at kind of in March of 2020 and kind of how stuff, you know, started to quickly change and kind of is almost a 9-11 moment, right? Like you can remember where you were at when, when everything kind of started to change, right? And I remember about about a month into all the change and all the disruption kind of happened, I was sitting in a meeting with some of us and I remember Dan saying this phrase, Dan's our campus pastor, if you don't know Dan, and he said, he kind of said, I, d- I don't think we're going back to normal, but we have to figure out how to lead into what is next. And I remember just writing that down and thinking about that because because it was just so interesting because especially at that time we wanted to get back to normal, right? And we are in this series called Next. And what we are looking at is that it's so easy for us in this season of disruption to want to get back to normal, to want to get back to what's familiar, to get back to what's comfortable, to kind of restore what was, right? And it's, it's kind of our default because we want to be comfortable, we want things to make sense and be smooth. But the question that we're asking is we're having this conversation is that as followers of Jesus, if you're listening and you're a follower of Jesus, then we kind of ask the question, what if what was, was actually a place that had that has lulled us into faith with no teeth? What if what was was kind of complacency? What if what was was just kind of status quo? And what if Jesus wants this disruption, it's it, not just the COVID thing, but it's, it's kind of what these last two years have represented for us. What if this disruption, he wants to push us into him and into something that is next and what he's leading us into with his mission? Newton's first law, if you remember third grade science, says an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. That we naturally are going to be doing the same thing that we're doing, whether it's sitting or whether it's moving. We're going to be doing the same thing unless something else comes and impacts us from an opposite direction. That we so often can kind of stay in our place, stay in our comfort zone, stay with what is familiar until something else acts upon us. And we'll just kind of keep doing what we're doing. You can almost for the sake of today think of this as going with the flow, right? Going with the flow. I've got two young boys, uh, firstborn and secondborn. And if you have kids or if you have siblings, you know that there's almost different personalities that can come along with those things, right? Our firstborn just turned three. His name is Camden. He's very high energy. He uh, is very kind of particular. He knows what he wants. He likes what he likes. He's not like crazy hyper, but he's just busy and he just knows what he wants to do and he's always doing something. Always moving, always going, always doing something. And if he knows what he likes and so if you do something he doesn't want, he's going to let you know, right? He's just very clear on those things. Well, then we have our second born, and his name's Colby, and he's uh, about eight or nine months, I don't know. And he, he, he's young, but he seems to be a little bit more go with the flow. He's a little bit more relaxed. And so, it's kind of that weird time between Christmas and the New Year, we were home, and Camden, our three-year-old, for Christmas got some new markers. And so he was, my wife said, he did such a great job just drawing on paper for a couple days. He just drew on paper, not on the walls, not on anything, and he was just doing great. And she was like, I'm really impressed with how much Camden just stuck to the paper with these new markers. I said, that's amazing. I'm at work the next day, and she texts me a picture. And this is the picture that my wife texts me. This is our, our second Colby. 
And what we found as she walked in, she kind of heard it very quiet in the other room. And as she came in, she found Colby smiling ear to ear as Camden was holding a green marker. Colby was just going with the flow. He, he loved what his brother uh, was doing to him, right? He was a big fan of this paint job that Camden was doing because he just goes with the flow, right? But the truth is that our, our tendency for the sake of today as we talk about go with the flow. We're not talking about so much about personality. As we're talking about the tendency to go with the flow that we find ourselves in. To kind of just go along with whatever is around us. It's less about our response to a specific situation, but it's more about what we are resting in and where that is taking us. For the sake of today, I want to think about this. Think about this. That for many of us, we kind of find ourselves in the flow of cultural currents. We are in a moment, I talk about this all the time, probably too much, that we are all kind of in this cultural moment and it has these natural currents that wants us to think certain ways, to talk certain ways, to believe certain things. Left, right, middle, and different. It's all just the tendency of this culture, right? And so media shapes us, technology shapes us. There's kind of almost this flow that we have to have an opinion on everything. It very seldom you ask somebody something about something and they say, I don't know. It's interesting. Our culture just kind of makes us have a thought, have us opinion on everything. The idea that we have to pick a side on everything, right? There's almost this cultural current that you know of is the American dream, right? It almost is this current, it's almost this right path. And if, you're not, if we're not following the American dream, it can feel like we're off the path, like we're not going with the flow in the right direction, that we're doing something wrong. We can go with the flow in political parties, where maybe we just, we, we believe a couple things, we have a couple convictions, but we just kind of pick up everything else that goes along with that specific political party and we just go with the flow. And maybe sometimes we don't really ask, our, ask ourselves, is this something we truly believe or something Jesus has called us to? Sometimes there can be certain social justice trends that have um, some good in them, right? And we, we say, hey, that's an important issue, that's an important issue, and all of a sudden we find ourselves marching for something or standing for something that we really don't totally agree with because we were just going with the flow. Sometimes it's religious trends, right? That we can get on different theological trends or different uh, rabbit trails or wormholes that are very specific theologically, and they may have important pieces to them, but it can take us so far up track. And what can happen with all these things is they have ounces of good in them. But if we just go with the flow, it can take us somewhere, and it may not necessarily be taking us to what Jesus has called us to. For some of us, we can go with the flow of relational influence, right? Not always a bad thing, right? But it, we, we become who we surround ourselves with. I said this a couple weeks ago, I'm very much who I am because of the friends I had, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character, right? The people we surround ourselves with shape who we are. And it's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. When I was in high school, I was in honors classes. And I don't think I really should have been in these honors classes. But all my friends were in them. All my friends are much smarter than me. And so I kind of went with the flow. I went with what they were doing. And I was always underwater. My friend Katie got me through Spanish. My friend EJ got me through math. Like I just never knew what I was doing. And it wasn't until my senior year that I was like, guys, I'm not smart enough to keep up with you. And I finally got out of it. It wasn't a bad thing, but I just went with what all my friends were doing. That we, in a lot of ways, will just do what those around us are doing. Whether that's our tight friend group, whether that's, whether that's our, our larger community, our workplace, or whether it's our country, that we will do what feels natural to us, what is naturally around us sometimes. And sometimes we can go with the flow of emotional reaction, right? We are emotional creatures. We're emo- Some of you guys are listening, you're like, 
My wife is, I'm not. You are, you're emotional because you're trying to avoid the emotion. So you're like, I'm gonna go with the flow of not getting involved in this, right? But we are driven by what makes us angry, what makes us feel safe, what is exciting. Now our given personality may be driven by one emotion more than the other, but emotions nonetheless, right? I heard a friend say to me that he said, emotions are like kids. Fun to have in the back seat, but you don't want them driving the car. Right, that we can be driven by emotions and we can end up, whether it's relationships, whether it's the current of our culture, whether it's the way that we feel, that we can go with the flow, emotionally, culturally, we can go with the flow and we may not end up where Jesus has called us to. But for the sake of today, I want us to acknowledge that it's, it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. Why does this matter? Aiden, why are we talking about going with the flow? Why does this matter? Listen, because going with the flow in whatever area that is, kind of unintentionally ending up somewhere, can ultimately serve the wrong kingdom, can serve the wrong purposes. None of us are neutral. None of us are going nowhere. We're all going somewhere. And Jesus calls us to follow him. And if we are going with the flow and it's not leading us towards Jesus or it's going in the direction of Jesus but a little bit off, we may not be going where Jesus is calling us to go. And we have to acknowledge that there are enemies that want us to not end up where Jesus is but to go off the path, to let the flow take us wherever it may as long as it doesn't take us to Jesus. Thomas Aquinas, he's kind of a, a church father, he said this. He said, the three great enemies of the soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. We see this in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 2 and 3. I encourage you to go read it. We see these three enemies of our soul. In our pursuit of Jesus, in our pursuit of God's kingdom, these enemies that come against us are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is almost this idea of um, the collective indifference and opposition to God's design. We, we see this all throughout our culture, all throughout cultures and history, right? That there's kind of this collective agreement about what is right that is opposed to the ways of God, right? Many of us, it's a virtue in our culture, for example, to, to be prideful, right? Like be, being prideful, is, it can, can be this virtue, right? And that's a tendency of the world. That's against the way of God. There's a tendency of the world to say, just do you, right? That's left, right, middle, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just do you. That's opposed to God's kingdom. That's a way of the world, right? Almost this idea of empty, passing values of our world. We talk about this often, that the world, the flesh, it's our sinful nature that wants what it wants, right? That is desiring to satisfy itself, whether it's just to be comfortable whether it's to be, whatever it is that we just want our flesh satisfied. First John 2, 15 and 7, 15 and 17 kind of sum up the world and the flesh. It says this, do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It kind of sums up this idea of our flesh, our fleshly, selfish desires and the nature of the world. We see the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the devil is the liar. He's the deceiver. He's the accuser. Satan would want nothing more for us to go with the flow and let it kind of look like it's heading downstream towards Jesus, but to go off course. We'll want nothing more. Sometimes we think the devil wants us to turn around and go the opposite direction, but oftentimes Satan wants us to get as close to Jesus as we can be. But to doubt his goodness, to doubt his importance, to doubt his sovereignty, to doubt his power, and to just kind of hang out around him and become nothing like him. That's exactly where Satan would love us to be. To lie a little bit, to deceive a little bit. 
John 8, 44 says, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar. Now, the thing is that these things, they pull against our soul and it's not, this is important for today, it's not always in obvious ways. It's not some big raunchy billboard. It's not some bad, it's not some huge conversation that always pulls us from Jesus. But Satan, the world, our flesh, are subtle things like just going with the flow that make us inactive to Jesus. And we can find ourselves in a spiritual drift. Have you, have you ever been caught in a drift or in a current before? I'd be a kid and I'd go to the beach and I would go out in the ocean on my boogie board and I would love to swim. And my parents always had this big like rainbow umbrella, this big like colorful umbrella that I could see where they were at. Everybody on the beach probably didn't, but I could see theirs. And you would swim, you'd keep your eyes on that umbrella and you'd have some fun swimming, boogie board and go back a couple times. And before you knew it, you were 100 feet down this way and the umbrella was there and you would just drift without even realizing it. Drifting doesn't sound very menacing. But slow death is perhaps the most lethal because we don't realize that it's happening. Going with the flow is a matter of who is leading our life. And Jesus is abundantly clear that his followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are not to be led by the tide of culture, by what's popular, by our emotions, but we are to be led by the Spirit of God. In this series, we have been looking at John 13 through 17. If you got your Bibles, open to John uh, chapter 15, or chapter 14, I'll put on your lap there. But these, these kind of five chapters, these four chapters here, there's a lot of math I couldn't do real quick. That is, is Jesus' last night with his disciples. It's his last night, and this weekend that Jesus is about to go to is going to be a pretty big weekend where he's going to conquer death and rise from the grave. But this is where he's with his disciples and everything is about to change. That these disciples that he's been with and poured into for three years, that they are going to be full of fear. They are going to scatter, that Jesus is going to die, but this new power is going to come. We're going to see the birth of the church, the growth of the church, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem into the entire world. This weekend is about to change everything. And the disciples, they're like, Jesus is here. This is great. Jesus, we can keep following you around. You keep doing miracles. This, this feels like a good place to be. But Jesus wants to lead into what is next because what is next is going to change everything. And in this, Jesus continues to bring up that what is next involves the power behind this movement that is to come. The presence that's going to go before and behind these 12 men. And the truth that is going to lead and illuminate God's word for the life of the followers of Jesus. And what Jesus, in this conversation, in these next couple chapters, what he keeps bringing up, he keeps bringing up is the Holy Spirit. He keeps bringing up the Spirit, and they're not exactly sure what he's talking about. But for the sake of today, you can write this down. That following the Spirit must replace going with the flow. Following the Spirit must replace just simply going with the flow by just coasting and going along with whatever culture says is important, whatever our politics, whatever our, our friends, whatever just says this is what we should focus on. That following the Spirit must replace that. This may seem obvious to say, but we don't always think about that. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is not some secondary issue. The Holy Spirit is God. That the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all God. That the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity. He's a he, he's a person. He's not a mystical force or an idea or an emotion, but he is a person of the Trinity. That the Holy Spirit was present in creation, hovered over the face of the waters. We see the Spirit kind of showing up in different people's lives for, for a time throughout the Old Testament. 
We see the Holy Spirit showing up in these ways. We see the Holy Spirit show up at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus is baptized and begins his ministry, we see the Spirit descend like a dove and the Father approve of the Son. We see the Trinity in Jesus' baptism. And what we're going to see in this, in this section of Scripture, when Jesus dies, resurrects, goes back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with and inside of the followers of Jesus in his church. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about what is going to happen. But what is interesting is that today in the church, the Holy Spirit is something that often gets ignored. I read this uh, study, and 62% of self-identified born-again Christians in one study contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, and purity. He's not, not a person of the Trinity, but it's kind of a concept. Richard Lovelace says, the fact that the pronoun it is so frequently used to refer to him is not accidental. It reflects the fact that he is perceived impersonally as an expression of God's power and not experienced continually as a personal guide and counselor. For some of you, you grew up in a background that, that maybe in some, way, some ways overemphasized and oftentimes distorted who the Holy Spirit was and what he did that it kind of felt wiggly and everything got attributed to the Holy Spirit and you weren't really sure who he was and it was more of just this force or this concept, a Holy Ghost, right? And it was like, I don't, I don't know what he was, this, kind of this force that made me feel a certain way or brought about certain experiences, maybe. Maybe that's your background. And for others of us, you grew up on the opposite side of the spectrum. Father, Son, Holy Bible. People talk about the Spirit and you're like, whoa, right? And sometimes we can swing on a pendulum. We can be reactionary, right? It can be a pendulum. We can be on one side of the Spirit we just got to feel the Spirit, got to feel the Spirit, whatever. And the other side, you're like, I don't want to talk about it. You're just getting weird, right? And both can be to our detriment. Both can be to our detriment. Because in his last night with the disciples, before Jesus was going to go to be crucified and betrayed and killed, he was clear on who the Holy Spirit was and who, what the Holy Spirit was going to do. And so as we look at going with the flow versus following the Spirit, it's important that we know what does the Spirit do? He helps us and he shows us. We're just going to look at just the Holy Spirit is all through the New Testament, all through the scripture. We do a whole, whole series for a year on this, but we are going to look at this section today and see what Jesus tells us in this section about the Holy Spirit. And this, at the end, we're going to ask some questions. So if you guys have your Bible, you guys can open to John chapter 14. We'll throw it up here on the screen. This is what Jesus says. He's talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some versions say comforter. Your version of the Bible might say helper. To help and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Real quick, I just want to look at a couple things that we see here. Let me see what, how the Holy Spirit is going to help us. First thing we see is that the Holy Spirit is going to help us to love Jesus. It's going to help us to love Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. If you love me, he's talking to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, the things I've invested in you, the things I've taught you, the things I've showed you, do those things if you love me and you want to walk with me, do these things. He said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you, to help you have a good day, 
To help you not be sad? To help you make good choices? No, to help you love me because loving Jesus and following Jesus is not easy. Especially with what the disciples were going to face. You know what happened to all the disciples? Then most of them got killed for following Jesus. Peter, Jesus' is kind of the main forerunner of the disciples, was crucified upside down. John was, was abandoned on an island. It's going to be a rough go, but he's going to give us help. The Spirit is going to come and help us to love Jesus because loving Jesus is hard. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, it's not easy. It's not easy. And the Spirit, the Advocate, the Comforter, the Helper helps us to stir the love of Jesus within us. As we study the scriptures, as we follow him, he stirs the affections of Christ. The second thing we see the Spirit doing is, is the Holy Spirit is going to help us to see the truth of Jesus. Because he's the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Look at John 16, a couple chapters later, we're going to look at this, but it says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Scripture shows us that that prophecy that the Bible has doesn't find its origin in humans, but the Spirit carried along through humans. The Spirit carried along the message. The Spirit is the author of Scripture through prophets, through apostles, through kings who wrote the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit guided them and led them as they wrote. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And the Spirit, as he illuminates the truth of Jesus as we study Scripture, helps Scripture come to life and come into our life. That he illuminates the Scriptures to us. The other day, uh, Garrett, you guys know Garrett, had just sang the song here at the beginning of the video. Um, we went to uh, Primo's Deli. If you're in Akron, if you've been in Akron for a long time, you've probably been to Primo's Deli. I, I drive by Primo's all the time. They got like cool plants in the window, neon sign. I'm like, that place is cool, right? And I can never get my wife to go there. She's like, ah. And I'm like, you know what? Garrett loves that kind of thing. He loves kind of the like local places. And so I'm like, Garrett, you know, he, he did me a big favor. He was real clutch in this moment. And I'm like, I'm going to get you some Primo's. Let's go get some lunch this week. And so we went to Primo's the other day. And it's just an awesome place. I would encourage you to go. You've probably already been there. I'm way late on this boat. But we went and I did not realize how big the Primo's menu was. And we opened the menu and there's all these sandwiches and hot dogs and but all this stuff on this menu, I'm like, and so Garrett and I are standing there with this huge menu, just like, whoa, did you know they had all this? And we're just kind of overcome by this menu. And this lady comes out who works there, and she's like, she kind of is like, you guys been here before? She could tell we have not. And she said, best things on the menu are the Italian sub and the Reuben. Italian sub, Garrett got the Reuben. But we looked at this menu, and to us it just looked like a whole bunch of things. But this lady's insight illuminated that menu. So that we looked at it different. We're like, this, this, this became top priority. This became the most important thing. Let's get that. Let's get that sandwich. That we saw it different because it was illuminated to us by something. There's a, a guy, I just read this book. It was an awesome book, all about Christian history through the eyes of a, he's a secular humanist named Tom Holland. He's a historian. Very high view of Christianity's impact on Western culture. Awesome book. I'd encourage you to go read it. But what's interesting is that Tom Holland in this book, he knows so much, way more than I do about, about scriptures and Christian history and all this. He's a historian. He's a genius, right? But Tom Holland, as he reads and all of his knowledge and all of his study and all of his expertise of Christianity and Christian history and the scriptures, that because he's not a follower of Jesus, he does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. 
and the scriptures will not be illuminated in the same way that they will be illuminated for a 10-year-old kid who says yes to Jesus. That the Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures in the life of a believer in a unique way that we may follow Jesus and love Jesus better. The Holy Spirit will help us to remember what Jesus taught. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, this is interesting for the immediate context. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, I will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I said to you. That the Holy Spirit will remind the disciples of everything he's taught so that they might pen the scriptures. That they might write these accounts of Jesus' teaching into the gospels, into their epistles, into their letters. That it was the Holy Spirit who remind them of everything Jesus has taught as they pen the scriptures. But it's also true for you and I as we follow Jesus. We spend time in the word, in community, in church, under teaching. And it's so easy for us to leave. There's a stat for preachers that y'all are going to forget just about everything I said as soon as you turn this off. It's pretty sobering. But the Holy Spirit in the appropriate moments will bring to memory, will bring to mind, will convict us and remind us of the teachings of Jesus as we live our lives. He will help us to remember what Jesus has taught. The Holy Spirit will never lead us into something that is in opposition to what Jesus taught. If, if there's a, a decision that you're trying to make in your life, there's a different path you're trying to figure out in your life, and you're like, I think I'm supposed to do this, and it does not line up with the scriptures and what Jesus has taught, it's not the Holy Spirit. Maybe the world, maybe the flesh, maybe it's not the Holy Spirit. Never go contrary to what Jesus has taught. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is going to go leave them, but he's not saying, well, good luck, guys. Try to do your best. But he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit. The Father will send the spirit to be with you. Now, we're going to look at this next section. John chapter 16, flip over a page, 16, 7 through 11. They looked at how the Spirit's going to help us, and the Spirit is going to show us some things here. We're going to look at this. We're going to pray. 7 through 11. Track, track with the wording here is a little, little interesting, so just track with me. Jesus says to his disciples, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Helper, the Comforter, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's a person, not a mystic idea or force. When he comes, look what he's going to do. Look what he's going to show. He will prove the world to be in wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some versions say he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit that he's going to point us to. Jesus says he's going to convict us about sin because people don't believe in me about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. What is he talking about? What is the Spirit going to show us? Just look at a couple things. You can write this down. This is from Frederick Dale Bruner. He's a, he's a kind of scholar and theologian. He says, The Holy Spirit shows us, shows us that the world is wrong about what's wrong. The world is wrong about what's right. And who won? He, the Holy Spirit is going to point out that the, the world is wrong about what the main problem is. The world is wrong about what is right. And the Holy Spirit is going to show us who won. Walk with me. Let's, let's walk through this. The first thing. Holy Spirit shows us that the world is wrong about what's wrong. 
Look at verse 9. He says, about sin because people do not believe in me. That we, we have seen this probably more in the last couple of years than maybe any other time, I don't know, in history, in our lifetime, whatever. That we all, all that try to nail down what is the root cause of all the ills of society? What is the main problem? And everybody disagrees on what the main problem is. Is it education? Is it, is it our history? Is it economics? Like these all things serve an important role, but what is the main issue of our ills of society? Bruner says this, he says, throw it up here for you. We often wonder what the foundational fundamental structure of reality is. Is it political, economic, social, psychological, scientific, religious? Like what's the main reality about which we live our lives? He says this, Jesus, the son of God and the son of man himself in person is the underlying reality of all realities. He says he's every bit as much of history as he is religion. Therefore, being who he is, the refusal to believe in him is the most wrong and hurtful fact of life. That the world, we want to try and figure out what is wrong with the world. What can we fix so that we can make the world right? We were promised that this century would lead us into almost heaven on earth, but it has proved to do the opposite. That we are not in some promised future and we're realizing that what was promised to us was a perfect tomorrow seems like it's a little more rickety than what was promised. Seems like it's not as stable. That we were wrong about what is truly wrong. And Jesus says, it's because you don't believe in me. He doesn't say, he doesn't say because you got the wrong morality, you got the wrong religion, you got the wrong Christian ethics, but it's because you don't believe in me. That if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if he is the, the beginning and the end, if he is the light of life, if Jesus says all these things, the one who holds all things together, who in all things we find our, our being, that we live and move and breathe and find our being, if he's all those things, then our rejection to acknowledge and believe in him is our main problem. Now, I want you to think about this. You may, be, you may be listening to this, and you may either consciously or subconsciously not believe in Jesus. This is what I mean. For some of us, you're probably not watching this if this is you, but it may be someone in your life. There's a blatant refusal to believe in Jesus. You're like, I don't want him. I don't believe in him. Right? There may be someone in your life. I'd encourage you to pray for him. But we know people who are like, I don't want anything to do with God. Blatant refusal to believe, right? But some of us, we functionally don't believe in Jesus, and we may be Christians, may come to church all, may serve, may do all this stuff, but we functionally don't believe in Jesus, but we believe in ourselves. We believe in what we can do. We believe in what we can do with our own hands and our own rightness, which we're going to talk about in a second, that we, we can do it ourselves. We may not say it out loud, but the way in which we live, we do a little tip of the hat to Jesus and we sleep at night because we feel good about ourselves. These people in the, in the Gospels were the Pharisees, right? They believed in themselves, they didn't really need God if they could do it all themselves. And some of us functionally don't believe in Jesus because we can handle it ourselves. And for some of us, we fail to believe in Jesus because we just go with the flow and we just aren't aware of him. We just don't really think, don't like, you may be a Christian, not a Christian, you may claim to follow Jesus, may not, but we're just like, oh yeah, Jesus, oh yeah, that's, I'll pray real quick. Could you help me out with this, Jesus? But anyways, and we just go on with the flow. But what Jesus is saying is that it's the work of the Spirit that convicts us of our need for Jesus, that shows us what is wrong with us in our need for a Savior. 
That's the work of the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Christ. Every time we, we do baptisms, we say, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that your sin separates you from Jesus and you, you need Jesus to save you from your sin? Like we say it every time. The only way we acknowledge that is by the work of the Spirit. That the Spirit helps us to acknowledge our need for Jesus on a deep level. That the Holy Spirit shows us that the world is wrong about what's wrong. But also that the Holy Spirit shows us that the world is wrong about what's right. We just think that if we just have the right politics, the right morality, if we're on the right side of history, if we have the right perspective, the right parenting technique, the right life hacks, whatever it is, the right way to make money, that then we will be right about life. Then we will be in the right. And all of our different clans and different crews have our own definitions of what right is. And what Jesus says is that, I'm going to show you that the world is wrong. He's going to convict us about righteousness, to being wrong about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What is he talking about? Jesus is about to leave. He is about to go back to the Father. Mission is about to be completed. And Jesus' mission was that he was righteous, perfect, sinless. And this weekend, as Jesus heads to the cross, it's about to be a busy weekend where he's about to throw down and exchange his perfect righteousness for our sin and he's going to lay it in the grave and raise again and give us what he has done so that we might stand before God and be declared righteous. That God might look at us and see what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus is about to complete that mission and he is the one who is righteous. I am about to go to the Father give you my righteousness. We're, we, we try to find our rightness, our righteousness in so many things. Try to self-justify, find the right plan, the right path, and we can just figure it out and be right. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's what I'm about to do that's going to make you right if you put your faith in me. That the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness, reminds us, if you're a follower of Jesus, reminds us of who God has made us to be. Scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brother. If you, all, all of us walk through seasons where we, we struggle with sin. We're angry, we're lustful, we're prideful, we're lazy, whatever it is. Deceitful, whatever it is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably avoided coming to the Father because you're like, I just can't. I know how messed up I am. I know the lies I've told. I know the pride I carry. I know my anger. I'm like, I, I can't approach the Father. And I'll tell you this, Satan would want nothing more than for you to stand 20 feet away from God and be like, I just can't, sorry, for, for as long as possible. He's the accuser of the brethren. But the Spirit doesn't, doesn't say that these things are okay. Don't worry about it. Come on in. No, no, no. The Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has done for us, reminds us of who we are. Camden is three. My oldest is three. So there's like a lot of like crazy little sin nature going on, right? And while I want, I want him to know what's wrong and right, I want him to know like, you, we came home the other night, we're like, were you rotten? He goes, yes. What'd you do? I threw a basket at grandma. You're like, what are you doing, man? What's wrong with you? Now, the report was a little different. He did not throw a basket at grandma, but he thought he did. I don't want him to throw a basket at his grandma. Crazy little man. What I want him to know is that that's not right. But more than that, I want him to know who he is. We don't throw baskets at grandma. We don't, we don't say those things. That's not who you are. 
that as much as I want him to be aware that something is wrong or right, Camden, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's not going to change him. But if he knows who he is, then he'll know what to do. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. Reminds us of our identity in Christ. And when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. That the Spirit shows us that the world is wrong about what's wrong. That we're wrong, wrong about what's right. And the Holy Spirit shows us who won about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We listen to the news. We read history. We see sin in our own life. We see the pain in our own life. And it looks like Satan is winning. All the chaos, church attendance is shrinking. All these different pastors and religious leaders are failing. The church, as we talked about, we started off the series last week, needs to regain its saltiness, that it just looks like, what is going on? Are we losing? Is like Satan winning here? And what Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to remind us that we're wrong about sin and judgment. Because the prince of this world, that's Satan, stands condemned. Jesus is like, he's about to have a busy weekend defeating the powers of sin and darkness. Look at Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed the powers, authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Revelation says, I am the living one. I was dead and now I'm alive and I hold the keys to death in Hades that Jesus has won. We talked about this last year, that in World War II, that when the Allied forces on D-Day captured, captured the beach and succeeded in their mission of D-Day, they said that the war was won. Now there was still a year before they'd make it and take over Germany. That the, the war was completed at V-Day, Victory Day, but it was won at D-Day. D-Day is the cross. Jesus has triumphed over evil and death that though it feels like darkness is growing and growing, the Holy Spirit reminds us that is not the case. Reminds us that Jesus is building his church. Reminds us that Jesus has won, that Satan will be defeated and is defeated. Prince of this world stands condemned. Not in some arrogant, prideful way, but in a way that keeps our head up as we follow Jesus. Holy Spirit says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Take heart is something that Jesus constantly calls his disciples to. To take heart, for I've overcome the world. When we just go with the flow, when we just go with whatever, when we just cling to the things that are familiar, our, our our politics, our culture, our entertainment, whatever it is, when we just go with those things, we follow the wisdom of the world, we satisfy our flesh, we listen to the lies of Satan. We're going with the flow. But Jesus doesn't call us to go with the flow, but to keep in step with the Spirit. And as we keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will produce fruit in our lives, what we looked at last week. That we can't cause these things to happen, but we keep in step with the Spirit. We abide in Jesus, follow the Spirit. As we live through this crazy life, He will bear fruit in our lives. Can we just say a couple quick practical things and pray? Just a couple quick practical things. First thing is this: is you're like, how do I? How am I led by this? How am I led by the Spirit? Like, I don't. What does that look like? First thing I'd say is this: It's easy to pray, dear Father. Lord Jesus, I'd encourage you to pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to guide you. Use the name Holy Spirit, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you show me? Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Acknowledge the Spirit. Richard Lovelace, again, he says, 
We should make a deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit, to move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness, and to open our minds and to share all of our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. Holy Spirit, as we walk into this day, would you lead lead me in my decisions? Would you lead me in my speech? Spirit, would you bring to mind what Jesus has taught? How Jesus has taught me to live as a human in this crazy world. Spirit, would you would you comfort me as I walk through pain today? Like just acknowledging and asking him and begin bringing him to our consciousness as we walk into the day. As we as we sit and study the scriptures. Ask that he would illuminate the scriptures as we read. It's so easy to read the scriptures and just be like, I know this story already, or okay, this thing happened. Holy Spirit, would you would you illuminate these scriptures? Would you bring these to life for me? What are you calling me to get from this? What do you want to convict me of, reveal in me, remind me of? Holy Spirit, help me. Maybe it's just listening to the Spirit. The the disciples listened to the teachings of Jesus. They heard Jesus teach. They listened to how Jesus instructed them. And the Spirit leads us into the truth of Jesus' teachings as we live in our day-to-day. Are we listening to the Spirit? Or are we so filled with podcasts and music and news and other people's opinion that we, bl- we kind of just tune out, go with the flow of culture and tune out what the Spirit is leading us into as he confirms Jesus' teaching in our lives? So easy for us to go with the flow. But if we want to go, we don't want to waste this moment. We don't want to waste this, this disruption in our lives and get back to normal or just get back to a comfortable place. But for us as a church, for us as individuals, Jesus, what are you, are you taking us into next? What is it in my life where my faith needs to grow? Where I need to recapture the wonder of God, the wonder of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you lead me in that? Jesus, you have not left me alone to figure this out. Holy Spirit, would you lead me into the relationships that you're calling me to? Would you lead me into conversations I need to have? Would you lead me to to bring scripture to mind so that it may stir in my heart and that my words and my actions and my life may change? Spirit, would you help me as we do this? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would would you help us? Would you kindle within us an affection for Jesus, an affection for the way of Jesus? And would you reveal to us the lies of Satan, the, the currents of our world, and just the, the, the desires of our flesh? Would you reveal those things to us that so often we just go with the flow and we are blind to? Help us in that spirit. I pray that you would show us what is true. You are the spirit of truth. I pray that you would show us the lies of culture, the lies within us. Reveal those things to us that we may know what is right, that we may know what is wrong, and we may know that Jesus has conquered, that we may live in light of that. And Holy Spirit, as we we go to work, as we raise children, as we make decisions, as we deal with finances, as we relate to maybe hard family members and neighbors and conversations that we had, would you lead us, Spirit? Lead us to reflect the truth of the gospel, the reality of the kingdom. Would you lead us in those things? 
that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus as we live on this earth. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen.